Last September, members of our congregation joined with other Lutheran churches from throughout Switzerland for a study day at Mission 21, the Protestant mission in Basel. We learned a little bit about the organization's history and attended a workshop on intercultural communication. All helpful stuff. And I remember learning at that time that Mission 21 regularly offers a program with this title. Religions, cause of conflict or potential for peace? It's a potent question, don't you think? Conflict rages in so many places in our world. Is religion part of the problem or part of the solution? In my line of work, of course, I kind of want to stand up for the role of religion. All the major faith traditions put forward strong ethical frameworks for life, grounded in respect for others. All of them mean to foster communities of justice. All of them speak of peace as a virtue. Speaking from my own tradition, I point to Jesus' teaching that peacemakers are blessed, that aims to reconcile people to God and to one another, that calls for open and welcoming communities where nobody is left out. There's a reason that we call the one at the center of our faith the Prince of Peace. Peace is at the heart of what Jesus spoke about. It's at the core of what he came to bring, we believe. My instinct is to stand up for our faith as one that offers great resources for peacemaking. And then along comes Luke chapter 12 and that reading we just heard this morning. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. I hear those words and I am suddenly faced with what my tradition has so often become. An excuse to exclude, to draw lines between us in here and them out there. A tool to bolster prejudice, to build up national or cultural identities over and against those deemed unworthy. A pretext to dominate others, to exert control or even to wage war. Of course, I believe all those things are terrible distortions of the faith of Jesus. They are all so far from what he taught and lived. But still, what do we do with Jesus' strange and harsh words this morning? At a first reading, they can seem to predict or even to justify some of the worst behavior of his followers through history. All the innumerable ways Christians are divided from one another and from our neighbors. Maybe we should stop calling Jesus the Prince of Peace and start calling him the Duke of Division instead. Sure seems like what this passage calls for. But before we do that, we would do well to slow down and try to make sense of this teaching in light of Jesus' life and ministry. Just what sort of division is he talking about here? And to get at that question, I think we need to look at that other rather troubling image in our reading today the fire. I came to bring fire to the earth, Jesus says, and how I wish it were already kindled. Okay, so it's not enough that you're here to divide people, Jesus. You also need to burn them up too. Boy, this passage just gets more and more fun, doesn't it? Sort of makes me wish I'd stayed on vacation just like four days longer. 
It is hard not to hear fire language in scripture in that way, as language of punishment and vengeance. But whatever hellfire and brimstone preachers would have you believe, fire is not only about destruction in the Bible. It is a symbol of the presence of God. It's often about refinement and restoration and renewal, the passing away of something dead so that something new can grow. New Testament scholar Matt Skinner says this about our reading today. The fire Jesus wants to kindle is a fire of change, the fire of God's active presence in the world. No wonder he is so eager to light the match. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus envisions and enacts a new and changed world. I think it's helpful and right to connect his fire language here to that larger vision. And if you ever need a reminder of the scope of the change that Jesus has in mind, you can't do much better than go back to the Magnificat. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary with the announcement that she's been chosen to bear Jesus into the world, she sings of the profound shift that God is bringing about. God has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's this staggeringly beautiful vision of, a, of an end to hunger, an end to oppression, of abundant life for all. We can imagine Mary rocking baby Jesus to sleep with that song and singing it to him as he grew because it would become the great subject of his teaching, the kingdom of God, the new way that God is making in the world where nobody's excluded, no one is discarded, no one is left out of love. You cannot open a page of the Gospels without encountering this vision in one way or another. Sometimes it is gently depicted in Jesus noticing somebody who everyone else seems to miss, or offering healing to somebody everyone else seems to pass by. Sometimes it is powerfully enacted in a crowd being fed with a little bread and fish. Sometimes it's just playfully hinted at in parables about a pearl hidden in a field or yeast mixed into dough. And sometimes it is brought forward with surprising force. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. The kingdom of God isn't only something Jesus taught about. It's something he committed his life to, something he deeply wished for. And if it's hard to connect with the intensity of his language here, then we might try listening to some of the voices in our world today desperately longing for change in powerful and immediate sorts of ways. We might listen to farmers who are longing for rain like this in Ethiopia and Somalia, where drought has now displaced millions of people. We might listen to families longing for an end to aggression and violence in Ukraine. We might listen to refugees here in Switzerland, longing for homes and livelihoods and a new start. I hear those sorts of cries and longings in Jesus's words. He looks out at the injustices around him, the poor who are trampled by the powerful, the many who are relegated to the margins of society, the sick who are left to fend for themselves, and he says, I have come to bring the kingdom of God. I wish it were already here in full. I came to bring a fire of change, how I wish it were already blazing. 
Make no mistake, there is good news in Jesus' passionate longing here. It's the sort of determination that we see in those who devote their time and their energy day after day to positive change, working for the well-being of the planet, or advocating for an end to racist systems and policies, or persisting in calling for gender justice, or equal rights and opportunities for GLBTQ people. There is a better way, Jesus insists. There is a way that honors all people, that lifts up those who are trampled down, that offers free and full life for everyone. There is a way forward worth fighting for. So, let's come back to where we began, to Jesus' declaration that he came not for peace, but for division. Does it sound any different now? keeping in mind his longing for this new and changed world? I think it does. Jesus is not saying that he came to bring about divisions based on who's in and who's out. He didn't come to bring about divisions based on religious or denominational identity. He didn't come to bless all the petty and sinful ways humans divide ourselves up. No, he came to light a fire of change for a way that is so much better than all that. And the reality is, a message of such profound transformation can't help but be divisive at times. I have to think Jesus is using a little hyperbole here. Of course, following him does not necessarily lead to conflicts within everyone's family. But will it shake up some of our old attachments, old privileges, old certainties? Will it divide us from harmful patterns harmful relationships, harmful ways of living? Be prepared, because Jesus certainly came to bring division of that sort. I'm still not ready to give up on Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Despite his harsh words in today's reading, peace is ultimately at the core of what he came to bring about. Remember the angel choirs in the starry sky on Christmas Eve? Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang, and on earth, peace, goodwill among people. The angels knew what they were talking about. God's promise of wholeness and well-being for the whole of creation is there in Jesus. That's right. But our reading today reminds us that this peace is not simply a blessing of the way things already are. It's peace that cannot be separated from justice from the dream of a world where the lowly are lifted up and the hungry are filled with good things. It is peace that comes with the fire of change, with the one who kindles it in our hearts and in our world, and with the community that helps to keep it alive. And that is good news, friends, for this present time. Thanks be to God. Amen.